Well, good morning. Firstly, a big thank you to Prairie Baptist and James for the invite today. I've never preached on Good Friday before, so this is a huge privilege. Led loads of Good Friday services, but they've tended to be sort of reflective ones with scripture and, and hymns and silence. And so actually the opportunity to stand here and preach on Good Friday is a huge privilege. Um, we did have a conversation about the cross. I've worked with Baptist churches before, you know. Oh yeah, I think we've got one. It's in a cupboard somewhere. <laughs> we'll bring it out. <laughs> and James said, I'm sure we can rustle something up. So just in case, I brought my own. Um, now, there's a story behind this. When, in my previous church in Woodmanston, there was a, um, uh, an operatic society and they put on musicals every year. And this was actually made for one of the musicals. It was a prop for one of the musicals. I think there was a nun in it or something, I can't remember. Um, anyway, Peter, who made it, wanted to donate it because they weren't going to use it again. Now, Pat, his wife, who actually gave it to me, um, just before I left that church, uh, was diagnosed with cancer. And through that, actually drew much closer to the Lord in her faith. She was actually not taken by the cancer. She, was, she had a heart attack and died very suddenly. Um, and uh, I remember reflecting with Peter in, in taking her funeral. Um, back to him, just how special this was. And when I moved into the vicarage in Purley, this sat right by the door. And it was just a reminder. I mean, it's, it's not a, a, a sacred item to anybody else, but to me, it is. And it was given in love. And it was, it's got that story behind it. So I'll just leave that there. And I'll preach at the foot of the cross, if that's okay. Um, now, thank you for the intro. Yes, I did come dressed up. I did think about having two shirts today, you know, one for the Baptists and one for the Anglicans, but I thought one would do. And I have had a wardrobe failure this morning, sadly. I discovered that the stitching in one of my shoes is broken, so I've got a tiny hole in my shoe. Um, I thought, should I put on the new ones I haven't broken in, or should I just wear these? And I thought, well, Jesus wore open-toed sandals, so that's probably okay. And of course, you could say, it makes me a bit more holy. <laughs> but the reality is that the hole here is nothing compared to the holes over there. And that's what today is about, really, isn't it? So what I'd like to do is to just share with you three pictures of Jesus. And this is the first one. He was conceived in dubious circumstances, born away from home, a refugee at two. He lived an inauspicious life as a tradesman. He was baptised with sinners at conversion. That was reserved for Gentiles to wash them clean. He only spent 9% of his life as a rabbi that we know of. He was despised by the religious authorities, a blasphemer and a troublemaker. He had a large following, but they dissipated within a week. He was tried and crucified by common demand. He offered no defence. He was crucified with criminals and terrorists. And he died with only his family and close friends at hand, and he was buried in a tomb. He was a king without a kingdom, a pretender who vanished in a whisper, 
A failure who created some noise for a time, but who disappeared, leaving demoralised and confused followers and friends. Now, to quote Patrick Swayze, if you know the movie, I guess that's what you would see if you look from outside. But here's another picture, and we find this in Revelation. Jesus' visible return. Burning brilliance. The hair on his head was like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing water. In his hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. That from Revelation 1. Or the lion and the lamb, see the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne. Revelation 4. Or coming on a white horse. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the Word of God. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation 19. And now a third picture. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God stricken by him and afflicted. That he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many 
and made intercession for the transgressors. That I'm sure you recognise as Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. So there we have three stories, looking at the same Jesus, the same Jesus we see on the cross. The one who is prophesied hundreds of years before that would give his life for others. The one, when you look at it from outside, makes no sense whatsoever. And the one who will come again and make all things new is sovereign over all. As James referred to earlier, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And that's the difficulty with what we call Holy Week. Note, it's not Easter. That starts on Sunday and runs for a number of weeks after that. This is the runner. Easter is about the resurrection encounters that happen after this weekend. Good Friday is our rescue. We can celebrate the result, but not the means. As James said in the introduction, it's very difficult to know how to pitch it. And lots of people don't do Good Fridays. We can tell by the number of people we see on a Friday and the number we see on a Sunday. But for those who do, it's a very, very special day. In many ways, to wallow here a little allows us to appreciate the height of the sacrifice, particularly when we listen to things like that reading from Isaiah. And that can deepen our thankfulness and magnify his grace. The third picture of the suffering servant is for us believers. Picture two is for believers too. The magnificence of the glory of God, the lion and the lamb, the double-edged sword, all that imagery. Who do you see on the cross on this Friday? Jesus once asked, who do you say that I am? When you look at the cross, who do you see? Is it a suffering servant? Is it a powerful redeemer coming to renew a broken world? Or is it a failure who gave up his life for nothing? Because many, not of faith, will look at this and say that's a failure who gave it up for nothing. I was listening to a talk recently by Glenn Pathian, who uh, is uh, an American pastor, and he was saying, when we meet unbelievers, we don't start with Genesis 3. You know, it's a broken world and you're a sinner and we're all worthless. Because it doesn't mean anything to them. We start at Genesis 1, because that's where the story starts. A God of blessing, a God of perfection, who made it and it was good, and made us and it was very good. And we are his pleasure. Good Friday only makes sense once you get the rest of the story. And in a world where the self is the highest God and we, we get to decide what is good and evil, the gospel jars and is repellent. But as we know, it's foolishness for those who are perishing. So no, the opening line should be, God loves you. He made you and he takes pleasure in you. 
And he is powerful enough to make and renew all creation, including you. He made science and beauty and justice and peace and art and nature. They are all his. And he made you and he knows you intimately. He even knows your flaws. He is perfect. I'm not and you're not. In fact, we all fall short of that glory of God. His glorious perfection. Romans 3 will tell us. And this is because of what happened in the garden after that perfect creation we now land in Genesis 3. This imperfect world is down to that betrayal. It ended with an ejection from perfection. But God, those are two very important words, but God, because the story changes when you bring God back into it. He did something about it. He sent his son who shines with brilliance, burns brightly and carries a double-edged sword. He came to be like you and me. And he came as a servant, unattractive, lowly and gentle. He gave his life for you on a cross that you might not miss out on the blessings he has for you. His ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that all who believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we so often mishear what Jesus is saying in that passage. And it hangs on this word so. Because we hear it as God loved the world lots and lots and lots and so and, and, and his son came. What it actually means is this is the way in which God loved the world. He sent his son to die on the cross that we might be saved and have eternal life. If I may, I'd like to just throw in a little bit more Anglicanism, and that is to go to the Book of Common Prayer. And just to close with the Collect, which is a special prayer for the day, for Good Friday. It may be 500 years old, but I think it sums up what I'm trying to say. Let's pray. O merciful God, who has made all men and hates nothing that you have made, nor would you have the death of a sinner, but rather that he or she should be converted and live. Have mercy upon everyone and take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt for your word. And so fetch them home, blessed Lord, to your flock, that they may be saved and be made one fold under one shepherd, Jesus Christ our Lord, 
who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. Amen.